Hi everyone, I'm Alan Miller, co-founder of the Together Association, and I'm very pleased today to be able to be joined uh, by Glenn Jung and to be speaking with him. Glenn's spent uh, a lot of time uh, in Canada, in Ottawa, with the truckers, with the convoy, who's one of the very few, if, if not the only, uh, journalists to actually get exclusively uh, on the platform when the whole world got to see the pictures well, perhaps not enough of the whole world, because uh, whilst many people who were challenging things saw it, it was only after some time that some of the media actually covered it. But certainly we know that the truckers in Canada uh, inspired many people around the world and actually precipitated a reaction in, in uh, America and in other nations as well. Um, so, Glenn, thanks for being with us today. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It'd be really good if you could kind of give us a bit of an insight into how it came about that you were there, what it looked like, what it felt like, and, and what, how you managed to get such great access. So uh, I've been a contributor with uh, Bright Light News. It's an independent media company here in Canada that started up to give the real data um, and expose what's actually happening in terms of COVID, right? Because we're getting one narrative, we're not seeing another. And so uh, I got to go up there to see what was happening, ended up staying the full three weeks because it was such an organic uh, movement there that you know it turned into the largest, longest peaceful act of civil disobedience in Canadian history. It was incredible. So, you know, even the truckers, when they got there, they didn't realize, you know, a lot of them that I interviewed and talked with said, I was gonna be here for a few days, but uh, you know, the next thing I know, I'm here for three weeks because I had people coming up to me in my truck, holding my hands, crying, telling me their life story, uh, saying, please don't go, please fight for us. So it was, um, you know, one of my friends put it like it was the first time we were out of the matrix. And rather than us being the fringe minority, as uh, Justin Trudeau called us, uh, you know, we were the majority. It was two long years of being vilified, ostracized, uh, ridiculed by family, colleagues, society, by our own professional organizations, right? And then to finally get up there and be with like-minded people who were going through these same journeys, it was an incredibly explosive time. It was electrifying. I mean, uh, if I could put it in one way, uh, I guess it would be like England winning the World Cup. It was that much jubilation in the streets. Every day was just joy. The police officers there that were stationed to block the roads and uh, keep an eye on the terrorists, you know, they came over to the other side because they realized it was such a joyous momentous occasion that it was just full of peace uh, they took away the garbage cans right to create this atmosphere that these are terrorist thugs that are hanging out here uh, so what happened the volunteers there the truckers all the protesters they brought in garbage cans they were cleaning up the streets there wasn't a single cigarette butt you could see walking down the streets of ottawa it was cleaner than it's ever been uh, they didn't provide snow shoveling during the middle of winter the city stopped that to uh you know basically to just stop everything that was happening what happened People started buying shovels, donating. Every day you'd walk down there, you'd see people shoveling the streets. Uh, food tents were popping up. And these guys, one of these guys that I interviewed, uh, it was a, a couple of brothers who came in from Southern Ontario, uh, where Ottawa is, our province. And they came for a week and they set up uh, a little food cart on the street just to get free food to everybody. But the donations kept coming and they were there for the full three weeks, just cooking food from morning till night. We couldn't get up to the actual stage area that had been... Um, that had been, got, had been given a license to uh, in front of the parliament buildings uh, to set up our stage for our speakers to come. Uh, they revoked that on the day of the actual first day of the, uh, the convoy. And so what, they did, what we did instead was there was a flatbed truck on Wellington Street, the main street in front of the parliament buildings where a mock stage was made up. So people were going up there taking pictures and it's a massive crowd. 
so I jumped up there when this, uh, there was a First Nations band that went up there. They finished playing and then didn't know what was happening. There was a big commotion. They're kicking everybody off, but for some reason they left me up there filming. And I ended up luckily becoming like the only person in media that was allowed to be up on that stage for the speeches for the whole three weeks. So incredible vantage point. We had experts, doctors, academia. Uh, we had uh, lawyers coming up, activists coming up, truckers coming up, everyday people coming up, telling their stories. We had Dr. Byron Bridal, who's one of the world's leading uh, vaccinologists, virologists. He's the guy that uh, broke the story of uh, his um, FOI request to the Japanese government asking for the Pfizer data submission to Japan for the vaccine. And he was the one that said, listen, world, listen up. Uh, the biodistribution of this vaccine, it's supposed to stay in the shoulder area once it's injected, but only 25% has remained. 75% has filled all the other parts of the body. I mean, he came and spoke. We had Dr. Roger Hodkinson, who he uh, is a pathologist. He's been outspoken. Uh, Dr. Paul Alexander, who worked with the World Health Organization and the Pan-American Health Organization as a uh, COVID-19 senior specialist, uh, also worked with the Trump administration as a, as a specialist uh, to advise Trump. And he was the one that said, listen, I used to sit there and watch Trump who didn't want to lock down schools. I would tell him, don't do it, don't do it. But he, Trump was coerced by uh, the other uh, members of this uh, COVID team to go ahead and follow all and implement all these things. So to sit there amongst these giants and listen to what they were saying, right? I, I remember Dr. Paul Alexander saying, listen, Omicron is mild. It is the off-ramp, it is the exit that we've been given to end this pandemic, to end all the mandates. Um, so we had all these notable people coming up there. We had uh, Randy Hillier, he is uh, our first uh, uh, politician, publicly, I'd rather say publicly elected official who spoke out against everything back in April, 2020, stood up in our provincial legislature and said, listen, why is the Ontario government, you've been, you know, we're in the middle of a, of a pandemic. You have been offered furloughed doctors from the Ontario Medical Association, doctors sitting at home to go and open up COVID assessment centers and you refuse to do that. Why, what is going on here? Why did you take elderly patients out of hospitals and then stick them in the long-term care homes where we're seeing the greatest number of cases and deaths? So he questioned everything from the beginning. He's been a stalwart guy. He's been shut down now though. They, they blocked his ability to speak on social media about vaccine mandates, the convoy mask mandates. Uh, because this is the world we're living in now. But I mean, just walking around the streets and seeing people, I mean, I had kids come up and hug me. It was incredible, right? Uh, seeing police officers smiling, engage with people. And just, we were really working on trying to get the message out there to the public that this is not a racist, white supremacist, uh, terrorist um, event here. So we we're interviewing a lot of people that, uh, you know, the, the term is people of color. So I was interviewing this one South Asian family the father had spoken, we'd said, listen, what's the vibe here? Like you said, it's beautiful. Our family feels safe here. Our children are playing with other kids. There's bouncy castles. And I, I clipped to the wife and I said, so how about you? What has been the energy, the vibe here? And as she's just about to speak, another guy walks behind us and he hears this and he goes, love, peace, and unity. You know, it, it, was, it was incredible. So uh, interviewing Shaba, uh, he was one of the truck drivers that got beaten, taken behind the lines. This guy is fantastic. He's He's a big Romanian guy. He's the kind of guy that will stand up for his friends in a bar if there's a problem, right? But he, during our interview, he, he, he said some incredible things. He said, this is the kind of guy I, I, I will always fight for, for the underdog. But during the convoy, he said people were coming up to him, again, holding his hands, telling him their story, saying, listen, you know, you guys stopped me from committing suicide. He said, I could not leave. And he said, the day that we knew that the violence was going to happen, that the police brought, because all of us were peaceful, 
He said, when the police came, he said, I told myself, I'm not going to fight. I'm going to go down on my hands and knees. Uh, I'll put my arms behind my back like this. And went and did that, gave himself up for arrest because he said, I'm not moving. When they start to encroach, uh, I'm not moving. And they pulled him behind the lines, gave himself up peacefully. Then they put him down and ended up being on Fox News, being interviewed. Uh, you see a police officer sitting there, kneeing him uh, multiple times. And this is the transformative energy of, of the convoy. This is what was incredible. So as he's being later led to the uh, holding station there on the street, the cop that actually was kneeing him walks him over to the uh, holding area and then he sees another woman crying uh, who's been arrested. And he said, hey, he said, don't worry, sister. Everything's going to be okay. Cop looks at him and says, is that your sister? He goes, yes, just like you're my brother. I mean, incredible stuff. The 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 depths that with which people reached into themselves to become better people, to fight for our freedoms. I mean, these are the diamonds of society that all came out here. And I think that's one thing that really stood out. And it just, again, the other thing was the love, the unity every single day. I remember saying to one of my friends, uh, you know, in a morbid way, I said, I almost don't want this to end because it's so incredible. This is what society should be. People volunteering their time, helping people, the homeless people were never happier. They were being fed, they were being clothed all day long, right? I mean, the newspapers were saying that uh, the truckers and the protests were stealing food from the homeless, but it, it was entirely the exact opposite. So I don't think I will ever experience anything like that again. It's, it was the first time in my 51 years that I was proud to be Canadian. Uh, it, the love and unity was just incredible. So tell me a bit about how it came about that the truckers ended up in Ottawa and the number of them and how representative it was. You know, how did it come about that they all ended up congregating there? What led to that? You know, Canada has been one of the most um, uh, draconian countries in terms of uh, the measures. And people were fed up and, you know, the truckers just uh, all of a sudden said, listen, let's do a convoy to Ottawa. Let's fight these vaccine mandates. And so they started to roll across Canada from British Columbia, our westernmost province. Uh, people started to line the, the bridges um, and just built more and more and more and more momentum. And as it kept on crossing across Canada, all these other truckers and then even the uh, Canadians who have been vilified and, and felt left out of society, they started to pack every single highway overpass that was there full of, you know, hundreds of people, flags everywhere. And it just kept building and building until eventually uh, they ended up in Ottawa uh, for this momentous occasion. And everything was grassroots. You know, there was multiple um, organizations that were trying to help keep everything safe, working with the police officers. Uh, there was truckers organizations. There was uh, ex-police officers. There were politicians that were there on the ground trying to make sure that this was a peaceful uh, event that was meant to help Canadians uh, live equally amongst the vaccinated, right? It'd be interesting to hear about the police because you said that the police were won over. We, we, we've seen images... Uh, of the police with batons and you know then clearing people out and it getting very very serious but to talk us through how it developed what the situation was please what they did is they had the ottawa police stationed in the streets in the downtown core where um the convoy was happening so if i can kind of paint a little picture visually with my hands we have uh say these are the parliament uh, the, the house of commons we've got three buildings it's a big field there this is originally where everything was supposed to happen, the speakers and whatnot. Then you have Wellington Street, and that's where the stage was. And probably in about an eight-block radius there, where, where all the truckers were parked, right? They did a great job. They kept the lane, one lane open for emergency services. 
what the police came in though was they came in and they blocked off all the uh, access to the roads that the truckers were parked on thereby giving the appearance that it was the truckers that were causing the problems but once those police officers got there they got to spend time there they got to see all these happy people hanging out you know there were people walking up high-fiving the police officers thanking them for their services and again i mean there's no other way to put it but it was it was every day was just like joy and love in the streets people were hugging each other crying telling each other their stories uh, just energy of just unity that was there and so what happened is the police officers felt this they could not you know not notice this every day like the, when the horns were honking until they put in that injunction to stop the uh, honking of the horns i was talking to some truckers and they're saying yeah you know what these cops here are great you know they, they understand where we're from they won't say it publicly but they're on our side talked to some other truckers and they were telling me uh, the day before they they brought in the uh, the outside force police's um for the two days where they cleared out of Ottawa, where they had that massive overreach and the violence. Uh, one of the cops said, you know, you guys got to hold firm. Fist bumped the trucker and said, you know, we love what you're doing, just keep it up because we're with you. So these Ottawa police, again, they saw that it was not the narrative. The narrative there was that elderly people were being terrorized. There were terrorists there. There were far-right uh, supremacist groups that were there. I mean, look at me. I'm anything but a far-right ter racist terrorist, right? So. Um, and this is what it was. There were people from all walks of life that were there. Uh, you know, Asian, South Asian, white, black. Everybody was there, all ages. There were, there were families out there, you know, with their babies in their strollers out until 10 o'clock at night because there were street parties. There were dance parties every night. Food everywhere, right? Bouncy castles were set up. Hot tubs were set up at one point. So the police saw this, and there was no way they could sit there and believe the narrative that was coming out that people were being terrorized, that this is a, an insurrection, right? A seizing of Ottawa. So what happened was uh, they they became awake to what was happening. So when the actual violence happened, though, what they did is they cleared out those police and they brought in outside provincial police. They brought in uh, federal police. They brought in police from other uh, districts of Ontario for that uh, that those couple of days of just like the darkest days in Canadian history that I've ever experienced. And you know they had to do that so that they did not have any the police did not have any connection to the people and they didn't have that reality that hey this is a peaceful protest how much did it win the hearts and minds of canadian citizens in ottawa but then across canada how much do you think that argument was won with them uh because of these actions well, where do you think that really stands great question um i think one of the most powerful things is that it took the conversation away from the vaccine mandates that's what the truckers were there for and it took it to something that spread across all Canadians, uh, a universal message of freedom. You know, we are having our freedoms destroyed, whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. It basically made that discussion, that divisive point moot. So um, for people who were already awake and questioning things, I mean, this galvanized Canadians. Um, but unfortunately, because of the mass reach of mainstream media, it's still a minority of people that don't even realize people had their bank accounts frozen, right? They they're believing the mainstream narrative. So I would still say it is a minority, but it sparked this minority to grow in much larger numbers where people realize, hey, this, there were vaccinated people that were there, that were there fighting for their freedoms as well, right? So again, it crossed that line. Um, so it's hard to put a percentage on the minority number, but it definitely exploded because people realize this is about our freedoms and not about just the vaccine mandates. I mean, how much was it discussed in Canada, in the press and the news? Was it on the nightly news? What was the situation? It made headlines every day because they were trying to dismantle 
and destroy what was actually happening there, a peaceful event of civil disobedience against Justin Trudeau, uh, his, his measures, right? His divisive, unconstitutional measures. So it was there nightly, but I mean, I think a lot of people tuned out after the first weekend because this thing rolled on for three solid weeks, but the narrative continued. The narrative kept on uh, being that it came from uh, grassroots organizations that have far-right ties. Uh, it was about this narrative of terrorists, again, people who donated and had their bank accounts frozen were everyday Canadians. Yet uh, our health and safety minister, Marco Mendicino, came out, I believe it's been documented 13 times he came out in our House of Commons and said that this money was funding terrorist organizations or coming from terrorist organizations, right? And he also said uh, that the Ottawa police, the RCMP, our federal police, as well as our provincial police, all asked for the emergency measures to be invoked. Not true at all. They have come out on record saying they never asked for it to be invoked. And yet to this day, Marco Mendicino, like any good politician, uh, continues to deny and skirt the question when asked. Why are you lying? Uh, Marco Mendicino, uh, in the commission uh, that's now out, uh, that's actually assessing and evaluating what happened, which has happened very quickly in Canada, unlike what we're seeing in Britain, which is taking going to be several years till we get to see the outcomes of uh, inquiry. But in that conversation, this, this whole discussion has come up, hasn't it? And some of those people have been put under question, under oath, uh, at the police and um, the mounted police, and uh, have said that they did not call for emergency measures. So basically he's lied uh, and they wanted it themselves, politicians, and then they used the police as an excuse. That's right, yeah, it's come out now in the actual commission. There's an inquiry that's happening and it's uh, the warp speed nature of it is, uh, is pretty surprising that they're actually doing it. But again, uh, there is so much evidence against Mendicino, against the Trudeau government for what they did. They also stoked these lies in the media saying that there, were, um, there was a, an apartment building uh, that was set on fire by the truckers, which was proven to be totally wrong. Uh, I believe it was Mendicino who mentioned it in Parliament, and then another uh, uh, MP called him out and said, that is a, a total lie. It has been proven. We know it was not arson done by any truckers, right? Uh, the, so this inquiry, again, the evidence is damning, but again, it's like any government inquiry. Will it hold any teeth? And I think it will only have any teeth. There will only be accountability and repercussions for the government overreach if enough Canadians care. And this is uh, what we're really working towards is making people understand what the truth is. Some people have been calling very vocally for Mendicino's resignation. Um, and equally, uh, I'm reading that there's a new kids book out that sort of uh, has a Trudeau-like figure that bullies the, the truckers and puts in the emergency measures and everything. <laughs> and it's number one Canadian on Amazon bestseller. And that, it, it, see, it sounds like some in the Conservative Party, uh, Pouvier and others are using uh, some of the arguments that came about there to attack President Trudeau and others. So I suppose the question is, this is not kind of silent. This is big news, right, in Canada in particular. Uh, you can't really avoid it, can you? I and mean, most ordinary citizens will see this. What do you think their reaction is going to be about finding out they, were, they had emergency measures imposed and they were, it was, they've been lied to, basically? It's a great point that you're bringing up, and there is so much evidence. It's so clear. It's so overwhelming, and even our mainstream newspapers are starting to write about this. I mean, one of them just recently, I think yesterday, said that uh, Trudeau should be thinking about stepping down. The end of his reign is near. Uh, this is coming from a mainstream newspaper where our government has, uh, when Trudeau came into power, he doled out a billion dollars to the CBC, our version of the BBC, 
uh, gave $600 million to the other major media platforms. So they have been a trumpet like uh, the trusted news initiative around the world. So to see the National Post come out and say that, it's startling. But again, um, this is just very fresh. It's recent. Let's see, because there are still a lot of people who are, again, ignorant uh, of what actually transpired in Ottawa. There's a lot of people who just don't care. I mean, this, uh, this mass formation psychosis that people talk about, there are still a lot of people who are asleep to actually what's happening. So um, we'll see. We, we really hope that the mainstream media is starting to talk about it. The rise of the new media, the independent media coming up can get the word out that, hey, listen, uh, this is affecting all of us. Um, so it's hard to say. President Trudeau has got uh, COVID again, second time yeah. in a short yeah. period of time. The first time was actually when the truckers, when the whole issue was going on, right? And that at the same time, it's looking, it, well, they've made the announcement um, that uh, you no longer have to have uh, the procedure to travel domestically because up until a day or two ago, you couldn't travel across states by train or plane as Canadian citizens or go abroad. But now you can do those things, but I believe they've kept the requirement like America has for anyone who's visiting to actually have to show a jab. So that's just happened, right? Yeah, so just actually yesterday, um, our um, minister, uh, Algebra, came out and said that uh, we're not actually going to, uh, as of June 20th, uh, end the vaccine mandates. It's actually gonna be a suspension. And it was leaked the day before that by some uh, news sources that uh, until the next variant comes. So again, is this just uh, for us for who have been following what's been happening, it just seems like a ploy to, to appease people because there's been so much negative press and backlash now against the Trudeau government. Um, and to clarify the vaccine mandates, what's actually happening is they've removed the vaccine requirement for all travelers um, going abroad, leaving Canada on a plane or a train, as well as within our country. We are the only country in the world right now that cannot, that could not, still actually can't until June 20th, travel between provinces by train or plane without a vaccine, right? I mean, there's not even a communist country in the world that's doing this, limiting the movement of its, uh, of its citizens. So uh, they've also removed the, the mandate for federal workers uh, to have to be vaccinated. But again, all of this is just being suspended. So a lot of people are uh, very suspicious of this. And again, when you return, as you said, to Canada, you must have the vaccine pass. Uh, we've got this uh, app called the Arrive Can Pass where you have to upload your vaccination status. Uh, but nothing has changed for the unvaccinated people. So there is still that divisive line there for when you come back in, you still need to show a negative test. Uh, otherwise, face a $6,200 fine or may not even be able to get onto the plane. We still have our masking in place on uh, the planes and the trains, which is, uh, you know, um, still mind-boggling considering the science and considering that you know even most countries around the world have dropped uh, the mask mandates on the planes where would you say right now uh things are in terms of president trudeau any opposition what that might mean so here's the thing prime minister trudeau won with i think one of the lowest minority governments he had like 32 or 36 percent of the popular vote uh, he was get, he's in there as for his second term as a minority government leader Obviously, none of his policies would stand unless he did what he did. He colluded with the uh, NDP, the New Democratic Party, who were supposed to be for the working people, colluded with them, their leader, Jack uh, Meet Singh, to say, listen, let's work together on these uh, COVID measures. And Jack Meet Singh basically said, yeah, I will support everything pro-narrative about the COVID and the vaccine mandates. So the two of them have essentially, the Conservatives have the second highest number of seats, the NDP, the third highest number of seats. But with Trudeau's minority government, they 
obviously um, outweigh the votes of the Conservatives. So they basically are in power until 2025. Now, again, this is not a good thing for our, our country, as you said. You know, we had so many members of European Parliament come out uh, a few months ago saying that Trudeau is a dictator, right? Stomping on people's constitutional rights, uh, overreach for at best what was, uh, you know, the Ottawa Freedom Convoy was at best a bunch of parking infractions, right? Not this thing where people's lives were being terrorized. Let's say you go to work or you go out and you're at the coffee shop, wherever you are, you're talking to friends. I mean, the guys are out, people are talking, they're going out. What's the situation? What is the situation now in Canada? Just tell us about that. And what yeah, you know, it's it's not good. So most people are done with it. They don't want to hear from people who are saying that our freedoms are being trampled, especially in light of the fact that all these mandates are being lifted, whether um, you know our mask mandates have been lifted uh, in businesses and schools. But again, uh, with everything lifting, everyone's enjoying life again. This has been wait- what they've been waiting for for two years, the new normal to return. Uh, so, but let's see what happens in the fall. Hopefully, people will will wake up to see what is actually happening because again, it's a good thing, isn't it? If people are out enjoying themselves and getting, like, I mean, yeah. they, <laughs> you've certainly had a rough ride in Canada. I mean, it, it's a good thing that they want to be out and enjoying themselves. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's fantastic. It's actually great to see that because people are realizing what we we lost for the last couple of years, right? Uh, I mean, I think one of the most uh, yeah, sobering things was uh, I recently went down to Niagara Falls with my family and then my partner Catherine said she wrote uh, something sending some pictures to our families and she said you know I just realized after being here for three days what they stole from us for two uh, two years I mean we've got a we've got a toddler a young guy and uh, you know he's able to go to Bird Kingdom he's able to see the falls and have this incredible time all of that was taken away so it's great I, I'm so happy people are enjoying life again and seeing what life was was and should be but again, what's going to happen when we get to the fall, when cases rise? I mean, our um, chief uh, medical officer, uh, Teresa Tam, has already predicted a seventh wave is coming and that the measures may be uh, returning. So again, it's great that everyone's enjoying their life and seeing what life is about again and, and having back their freedoms. But again, on, on a limited basis, of course, and mostly for the vaccine, but what will happen? Will people wake up to the fact that these things can be easy, just as easily taken away again? What is the situation with the Canadian health uh, provision and how um, stretched was it or is it or not? I think like everything, it was fabricated. Um, first of all, we are looking at the case numbers that they were talking about. I, I did an, an art article where it showed that we had about 3,200 ICU beds available, hospital beds available uh, back in May 2020. Um, we did a report and showed that it had actually dropped uh, we lost like over 1,100 ICU beds uh, earlier this year. So, uh, you know, that was the article. It was what happened to these ICU beds in the middle of a pandemic. So, you know, what happened within a couple of weeks, the next thing we see is they actually fudged the data. They, they scrapped that original data they had from back in May 2020. They actually reduced the number of beds from May 2020 by over 1,200, 1,300. So that it actually appeared like there was an increase of 200 beds net over the last couple of years. So, you know, the doctors that we've interviewed, they've all pretty much said the same thing. It's, uh, you know, rural doctors. I haven't seen a case uh, of, you know, it's not been busy. We've shut down and uh, reserved certain parts of our, uh, you know, we shut down the neonatal care unit and for overflow patients. And, you know, even talking to nurses, same thing. We did not see this overflow. We never needed it. Uh, people had lost their, um, their jobs as RNs. 
because they weren't vaccinated, again, thereby creating another crisis. And yet the media comes out and the government comes out saying, you know, we have a crisis, we have a shortage and people are stressed out and from working so hard and all these cases, they're, you know, they're flooding the, the system. Because sure, Canada is in a relative good position as far as uh, gas and uh, energy goes, is it not? I mean, partly the discussion with Biden was to see about them reopening pipes or not and having that, but they didn't have that discussion from what I can understand. But, but just where is it in terms of the cost of living situation now and some of the problems we're all facing internationally? I think it's the exact same thing. Uh, we, you know, um, during the so-called pandemic, we were uh, around a dollar thirty per liter. Now we're over two dollars. Um, in terms of the cost of inflation, I think a lot of people are going to start losing their houses. We have seen a couple of interest rate hikes already. They're going to go back up to levels that we have seen like a couple of decades ago. But what we experienced in the last few years was almost near zero rate inflation. We had super low rates. That's why there was this huge rush to buy houses and these interest rate hikes, I think there's two more coming this year. These interest rate hikes are going to cause a lot of people to actually lose their houses. In Canada, I believe the number is about uh, people in terms of their income to expenditures are one to seven, one to eight. Um, during the pandemic, they did a survey uh, to ask Canadians, you know, uh, one of the questions was how many uh, are you, how many of you would lose your house uh, or are one paycheck away from losing your house? And that number was 30%. Now, with these increasing prices of food, of gas, the interest rates, I mean, the gas going up, we all know that that, inf that affects everything, the shipping costs on all goods. We're seeing shortages on electronics. We can't even buy some certain things, right? Cameras, whatnot. So, I mean, we're looking at uh, a situation where, you know, they're saying that we're one of the G G7 countries that it's coming out of is looking good in terms of employment, but Realistically, a lot of people, I think, are going to be losing their uh, their homes in the near future. It's uh, not looking good in the real estate market. What's happened to all the truckers and the other people that are involved in that protest now? I mean, they've gone back to the different areas where they're from. I mean, are there questions and challenges about what's happening? Are people still organizing any of those things? Are they asking questions about digital ID, about what's going on with the mandate, if it's being kept in reserve? Is, is How's that being articulated or done? Yeah, 100%. You know, so they have obviously disbanded gone back to their respective homes but there are new groups that are coming up um, you know over this uh, the course of the spring afterwards they were um, trying to unify with the united states there were uh, bridge protests where american truckers would meet with canadian truckers uh, there were local events that were happening across canada so everyone is just basically they had to take uh, a break uh, they had to reorganize they just had to let the dust settle because after those two days of police violence um, you know, it really kicked the, the wind out of a lot of people's sails. It was very depressing to see this incredible peaceful protest for three weeks, all of a sudden just be stained with this overreach and the police violence and then the lies. So everyone took a break, but people are now um, in a new mode before it was being, you know, arguing against the narrative for masks don't work, lockdowns don't work. But now what we're seeing is a lot of these groups are getting together with doctors, getting together with scientists. We're seeing the Veterans for Freedom group uh, start up and organizing actual events, organizing uh, panels uh, to have vaccine injured patients uh, talk. And just a lot of activism happening in terms of waking up the public to say, listen, I mean, this affects all of us, vaccinated or not vaccinated, this is about your freedoms and this is about more importantly, your health. There are people, I mean, we're seeing the catastrophic harms that are happening in terms of the vaccine injuries. You know, people who did what they were told, believe that they were doing the right thing for their health. And now we're seeing these injuries coming up one thing that happened was when the bank accounts are frozen, 
about a month later, um, uh, it was revealed that the Canadian government would permanently mark the files of anybody who had donated and had their bank account frozen, which is incredible, considering that FinTrack, which is our, fin our financial intelligence unit, the director came out and said, you know, they're responsible for looking after uh, any sort of uh, international funds that are coming in supporting money laundering or terrorist activity. That guy came out and said, you know, there is no evidence of any funding of terrorist activity. He said this money is not coming from international. Most of this $10 million US that was raised for the truckers came from everyday Canadians, waitresses, from, uh, you know, store clerks, people, just everyday people whose lives have been affected and inspired by the the truckers so their their files are marked permanently so this has put a big damper on people being able to fight back expose um and help share the truth make people aware of things because they're afraid to donate and support these causes but again the great thing is that despite that people are fighting for freedoms on a daily basis and those truckers tamara leach who was uh, one of the freedom convoy leaders for the the truckers is going to be honored to thursday tomorrow at the uh, Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms uh, event. She'll be honored as a freedom fighter for Canadians. It's an annual event they have for people who uphold our constitutional rights and fight for those freedoms that are being uh, chipped away at. So again, every day we're seeing more and more people get actively involved. I think that was one of the big lessons from the convoy. It was the truckers lit the torch, but they passed it to all the other Canadians who were awake to this and made them realize like, hey, you are now the trucker. You need to keep this going because no one's coming to save us. We obviously were watching a lot of what's going on with the Canadian truckers and the Freedom Convoy and it inspired us like the protests in, in Trieste and Milan all across Italy did and in France and, and in Australia. I mean, some of the scenes in particularly in Victoria and Melbourne were just really tough to watch. But anywhere around the world where people were challenged, but really the Canadian truckers inspired so many people. It was, um, if there's one thing that sort of symbolises it, what would it be? And what would be the one thing you'd say to people elsewhere uh, from Canada. The one thing that symbolized the whole trucker movement was this, love. That's, that's all it was, it was pure love. Um, you know, from people volunteering and keeping the streets clean, people trying to uh, help each other uh, through the cold, uh, when they shut down the truckers' um, ability to bring in the fuel slips so that they could keep their uh, trucks warm in the minus 30 degree uh, nights so they wouldn't freeze to death. You know, uh, the cops blocked all that. What happened? People started picking up, buying jerry cans and filling them up with diesel and then transporting them in, feeding the homeless. I mean, it was incredible. It was love, I think, is the big message that came out of this, that we're all unified together as a human race. People are reaching deep inside themselves to say, listen, I've got to reshape and rethink my paradigm of how I want my future to be for my children, uh, for myself, for society, my family. This is not a fight of one versus the other. This is a fight for all of humanity right now. As as, as hyperbolic as that seems, this is what we're really facing. So I guess, how does that happen? It happens through love, self-love, love for everybody. And that's the big message. There are many things coming down the pipeline, certainly um, that, that we are all concerned about, from whether it's to do with digital ID and surveillance of the population to uh, free speech and laws that are being imposed uh, and measures that are being imposed by the EU and WHO for digital ID globally. Uh, mm -hmm and much else beyond. So um, we'll keep talking and thanks for your time very much. Alan, appreciate it and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you so much.
be here. What does this mean? Humanity. Let's return to humanity. The world wants to thank everything you and all the other truckers are doing because you guys have ignited the storm around the world. Freedom Convoy Australia, Argentina, Israel. It's incredible. What do you think? I think it's amazing. And I think it takes Canadians to show this is done peacefully and lovingly. Have you seen any violence here at all? Felt uncomfortable at all? Violence here? I could leave a hundred bucks on this seat. When I got back, I'd find two. <laughs> this place is absolutely beautiful. This is man looking after man. All this right. is what life is, should be.